you're going to have to bear with me tonight because, um, <laughs> as, as is usual, this, if you, this is your first time here, uh, you know, or maybe it's your first time as in this series to be here, boy, have you picked an interesting time to come. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we have been in the middle of a very kind of sort of an interesting little study. Let's start kind of back at the beginning, what kind of got us here. Let's start there because I think that'll be helpful. We're really trying to understand more of who God is. That's, that's really it, the nuts and bolts of it is we're trying to understand more of who God is. And so where we started way back when I first got here back in last August was, or I guess it was October, was with uh, the Bible as the inerrant infallible word of God. And so we had to establish a source where we get this information from. And so we got the information. We, we said, okay, the Bible is the, uh, the authoritative, the inerrant, the infallible word of God. And so we can trust it. And it tells us rightly about who God is. And so then we dove into, well, who, God, who is God? So we started with God the Father, and we discussed many things about God the Father, things that um, are attributes of His, some of which He communicates with us, some of which are communicable with us, that He shares with us, and some of those that He keeps to Himself that are incommunicable attributes. And so we set those apart, and we, I feel like those are really important to understand um, the God that we serve and that we worship and what, what sort of uh, characteristics he has that, that he's revealed to us. Um, so we, we did that, and then we started talking about the created order, the created world around us, and talked about how Genesis 1 and 2 is a testimony to the created world around us and how uh, we can interpret that, how we can read that, and then some varying opinions on how that should be read in regards to whether it be age of the earth or whatever. And all of those should be online. You can go uh, listen up to those at some other point. Um, but anyway, so we, we talked about the created order. And then where we're going to next, or where we are now, is the created order of the unseen realm. So we're kind of exploring different aspects of the created order and things that we see come about in Scripture. And so we talked about um, this, the unseen realm, the things that we don't see that are going on, the spiritual world, as it's been called, and what the Bible does testify to. So we started off with really three, um, I guess you'd say lessons or whatever they are, on whatever this is that we're doing. <laughs> I'm not quite sure yet. I don't know if I figured it out. But uh, with more of the usual, the things that you typically hear, uh, your you know, angels, demons, uh, Satan, Things like that, uh, where all of that is and how, what, where the Bible testifies to that, what we know about it, what we don't know about it. Well, now we've gone after that, we've kind of gone into the unusual. These are things that, uh, that we, we see in Scripture that are often really confusing. A lot of passages that we stumble upon that we're like, what does that mean? Like, why did that happen in the text? And we kind of just, we read past it and we go, I'm not totally sure, but I'm just going to kind of keep going, you know? <laughs> I don't know really what to do with that. And so we're, last week, what I tried to do was really just sort of lay down a foundation. I'm going to review in just a second. Just lay down a foundation for trying to wrap our minds around some of these more complex passages. And so tonight, what I want to do is dive a little bit deeper into that. The last statement that I left off with uh, at the end of last week was that gods, that the small g gods, 
that the Israelites were tempted to serve, that often we are tempted to serve, that in many cases, those are more than mere idols. And we read where Paul had said that what they worship, what pagans worship, they're, what, they're, what they're serving, they're serving demons, right? And we saw that that was a quote, really, from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, that there's this kind of idea of demonic presence, an actual real spiritual demonic presence behind whatever that God is that you're serving. And so we talked a little bit about that. And tonight, we're going to explore that just a little bit more. And so we're going to look a little bit deeper at that topic. But to review what we talked about last week, just a couple of things, four things really in here in the review section that I think are helpful to just keep in mind. Okay, while we, we tend to view the unseen realm as relatively flat, and what I mean by that is when it comes to like, let's just... Let's put it in human terms, the org chart of heaven, all right? What does the org chart of the unseen realm look like? And so we tend to view it as a relatively flat company, okay? Uh, to just use a human term here. You got the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, all right, as top dog, okay? Underneath that, we tend to think uh, angels, the angelic community, that's made up of positives and negatives. That's made up of good angels and bad angels. We would call the bad angels demons, okay? So it's relatively flat. And then out here are some creatures that we're not quite sure what to do with that pop up in Ezekiel and Revelation and some other places. We don't know really what to do with them. Some people would say, oh, Ezekiel and John are being metaphorical about those characters. They're serving a purpose there. And some people would say, no, there really are creatures like that. Who knows? But they're they're there in, the, in those books. And then you've got in Isaiah the cherubim and seraphim that show up, and they seem to be serving a specific purpose of surrounding the throne of God or worshiping the throne of God, something along those lines. But we're just not told much at all about them. And so, but we kind of, we because of lack of information on those, we sort of lump them all into the angelic community and just go, well, it's, that's it. So it's God, the angelic community, which may have a couple of different shapes in it, and then us in the scene realm right? And in our scene realm, we've got tons of things, all right, everywhere. And so what, what I think the Bible is actually pointing us to um, is that there are many more creatures and many more things in the unseen realm that actually serve a purpose, that have a purpose in serving God. And I, and I think actually the Bible is, is pointing us in that direction. Uh, the term, the second thing here, is that the term Elohim most commonly is translated as, in our Bibles as gods. And it's, it's a category of spiritual being. And, but it's used like a half a dozen times for various, about, about a half a dozen different kinds of creatures in the, in the Hebrew Bible. So you have even as kind of strange as Samuel's spirit coming up out of the grave with the witch at Endor. Uh, it's referred to, the, the witch at Indo refers to it as an Elohim. That's, I see the Elohim coming up out of the ground, right? So the, there's this, the, the phrase Elohim, and the reason that I want to make that point, and the reason I think it's really important, is because we, when our word in, in English is that, that we get from Elohim, or the, the way Elohim is translated to English, is the word G-O-D, God. And when we see that word, we think of properties, eternality, omniscience, omnipotence. But it seems 
that because of the way the Jews actually use, or the writers of the scriptures actually use the word Elohim, it's a little bit broader than that. They didn't have that in mind when they used the term Elohim, that it applies to a, a little bit broader of a category. And so what we said was that there is, it's clear that Yahweh Elohim does stand alone as the singular God that is worthy of worship. And that, that the term Elohim, translated gods, is not exclusive to Yahweh. But the term Yahweh is exclusive to a particular kind of of Elohim, who is uncreated, eternal, omniscient, omnipresent. So basically, Yahweh is a kind of Elohim, but no other kind of Elohim is Yahweh. Does that make sense? David. So, yes and no. Um, we talked about that a little bit last week as well. The word Elohim, the I am ending, anytime you see that, if you ever see a word like Elohim on a page or something like that, it comes from Hebrew, the I am ending is a plural ending. But the difference with Elohim is it can mean gods, but sometimes it means God. And the way we know that is because of the words around the word Elohim. So in Psalm 82 was one of those examples, I believe, that we said, um, where you will see two different gods referred to. One is clearly talking about God, Yahweh, Elohim, because all of the pronouns around it are singular, or, yeah, in the, in the singular. Whereas there's another type of gods that are referred to by the same word, Elohim, because the pronouns and things like around that are plural, like sons, we saw that. El uh, or Eloha, which Eloha would be the, the, yeah, the noun, yeah. yeah. Or El, you'll see it El sometimes as well. So other than El, do you ever see that base word? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, you do. Yeah, and it's just different. Some uh, scholars, he says, actually prove of a triune God in the Creedus Where he says, let us make man... Yes, we're actually going to talk about that in probably next week. Um, but, but yes, that's a, there's a question there as to what that, that actually means and who he's actually talking to. Um, so th there's a question there, and we'll, we'll bring it up next week. I, I think probably next week. If not, it'll be in subsequent week. We're trying to tackle all the problem passages is really what I'm saying. <laughs> Go ahead, so Mitchell. Elohim, not Yahweh, Are they created? Yes. Absolutely, 100%, yes, created. That's exactly right. Yahweh Elohim is a species unique in the, in the Elohim. So Elohim would be a general term that would refer to a certain type of spiritual being. Probably one that has some sort of command and authority, but a certain type of spiritual being. That's at least when it's used. That seems to be the, the way it's used. But whereas Yahweh Elohim, there is none like him. He is alone. And you can tell that by the descriptions of those terms that people give to it whenever they're, whenever they're writing. And so, uh, so that's, that's, that's one. Um, then the, the last one as far as review, there are particular Elohim that are sometimes referred to by other terms. We'll see them referred to as the divine council, the sons of God, 
And we'll see them referred to as a, a couple of different things. Even, even tonight we'll, we'll see them. I think, I think tonight there's one in there um, uh, about that. So they're, they're referred to by other terms. We can tell sometimes it's refer, they use, they use a, the two terms in the same verse, or sometimes it's, um, you can just tell by, the, by where they are and what they're doing that this is a special kind of group. Um, that we see called the sons of God, uh, referred to as the divine council. We see that pop up in Job and, and various other places. Now, tonight, as we kind of dive a little bit down into the Deuteronomy 32 passage, it's mainly where we're going to spend most of our time, and then we're going to look at a couple other passages. Uh, I'm, all I'm wanting to do, it, there's, there's really one thing that I want to accomplish, one thing that I want to get across, and if, if, if that connects, then that will help build for later uh, sessions, essentially. But there's really one thing that I want to get across, but I want you to see how sort of the argument is is unfolding in Deuteronomy 32. So if you have your Bible, just go ahead and open to Deuteronomy 32. I do have a passage list, but I did include all of Deuteronomy 32 on there. I just felt like, let's just read it out of the text, and then we'll go. And then uh, we also have some passages that I want to get to if if we have time to get to them. If not, then I'll start with those next week. But... um, I want to look at this sort of idea of the table of nations and look at the Deuteronomy 32 account. So Deuteronomy, uh, you, just to get you familiar real quick, uh, Deuteronomy, the last book of the Torah, of the book of the law, Moses is writing this and it's kind of his closing uh, sort of, you need to take this with you. Uh, as you. As you go, he knows he's not going into the promised land, he puts all of this down. Um, at this point in the narrative in Deuteronomy 32, Joshua has already been appointed to succeed Moses, and you know everything's kind of been sealed up. He's given them the book of the law, and Deuteronomy 32 is basically Moses re- uh, recording a song or, or the recording of Moses' song over the people, and so he's singing this to the people. And uh, it's not a particularly delightful song, uh, just in case you were wondering. This is not one of those that's going to bring a tear to your eye and raise your hand and say, yes, Lord. This is, um, this is a song that really reminds them of some very uh, important things. If you look at 3129, which is just the, the chapter before, just a, a couple verses there before we get to 32, he says, For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. And then Moses spoke this song. So this song is a reminder to them to think back on how things were, to think back on all the things that have happened and how you don't want to do those things anymore. That's, that's what this is. So it's looking back. The, the vast majority of it's looking back and, telling, and really uh, kind of telling the truth to the people. So let's, let's start looking at, at chapter 32. He says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. Let gentle rain upon the tender grass, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are, ju- are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. 
They are no longer his children because they are, are, they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not your father who created you? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you at your elders and they will tell you. Okay, so Moses is right here. He's looking back and he's saying the covenant people of the Lord before you have blasphemed his name. They're blemished and they're dead. They're not his children. So he's warning them. Don't do what they do. That's what he's gonna, that's what eventually he's gonna warn. But but first he's telling them, look, look back. In fact, why don't you just ask your daddy? He'll tell you. He'll tell you exactly what kind of people they were. Ask your grandfather. He'll tell you what kind of people they were. He'll tell you that what I'm telling you is true. So we're looking back in Jewish history. Now listen to what he says in verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided Mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Pause right there. How many of you have the ESV? Raise your hand. How many of you have a translation that says sons of Israel? Three. Okay. Um, what's that? You have sons of Adam. Okay. Similar deal. Uh, earlier in verse 8. You have children of Israel at the very end of verse 8, right? Okay, okay. Um, there is a discrepancy in this, in this text. I want you to just take a step back. Let's look at verse 8, the middle of verse 8. He says, when, or the beginning, he says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. Well, what is he talking about here? He says, um, he says, you know, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples. When's he talking about? What is that? What's that? Yeah, how do you know that? Nations, languages, they were divided, right? In fact, if, you, if any of you have cross-references in your Bible, I'd recommend you at least have one Bible with cross-references. Uh, they can be misleading, but they can be tremendously helpful sometimes too. <laughs> so good luck. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. No, uh, cross-references can honestly really be helpful just going back and reading because so many times New Testament authors, Old Testament authors refer to different parts of the scriptures and you don't even know it until somebody, one of these gracious little editors puts a little note there and tells you to look back at this verse and you go, oh, that was a quote. I didn't even know it. Um, so they're really helpful. But we, we, if you have a cross-reference in this verse, you'll see that it probably points back to, do, uh, to Genesis 11. Does anybody have Genesis 11, verse 8? Acts you do have Genesis verse 8? You have Acts 17, 26. Yes, that's another one. Yeah, because Paul actually writes back to this one, and we'll talk about that one in a second. But uh, Genesis 11. So... Um, the, let me go back to these blanks. Let me get some of these blanks out of the way because I missed them last time and I want to I be sure I go through them just for Blake McKinney. Uh, De Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9 is an important passage for helping us view the Bible from the point of view of the unseen realm. It's helping us view the Bible and the story of Israel and all of that from the point of view of the unseen realm. 
Like the ESV, the text should read there in verse 8, sons of God instead of sons of Israel, as do some translations. Okay? So here's, let's, let's talk about one part of this. When the Bible refers to sons of God, some people are not really sure what to do with that. And so an interpretive uh, translation, if you will, when they interpret it, they sometimes give it the name Israel. What we found in this text in particular is that they, there, there is a, a, a discrepancy in the manuscripts that we found. One says sons of Israel, one says sons of God. And it's enough of a discrepancy that we're not quite sure which one was original. But it doesn't take uh, a sleuth to figure this one out, okay? Because when it comes to the difference between the two, for one, the Dead Sea Scrolls helped us out. Because when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they all testified that the original text was sons of God. But here's the kicker. This is referring to Genesis 11. Well, just go back to Genesis 11, the table of nations. He's reminding them, remember what happened, the table of nations. Remember what happened at the, whatever, Tower of Babel. Okay. Uh, you see here, uh, verse 1, the whole, earth had, uh, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east and they found a plain... Uh, in the land of Shinar, and settled there. Uh, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them according, uh, thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose uh, to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they, they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth. And, uh, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name uh, was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from, the Lord, uh, and, and from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. This is what Moses is referring to. Uh, most likely, he's referring to this. Now, one reason we know that this is not sons of Israel is because Israel hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> right? This is what Moses is referring to, and I think he is. Israel doesn't come about. If you look in the following passage, there's the Shem's descendants, and he lays out the table of nations there in Genesis chapter 11. Abraham is not selected until Genesis chapter 12. It's obvious that he's not referring to the sons of Israel. They're not there yet. He's referring to the sons of God. Now, Taking that interpretation, let's go back um, to verse 8 of Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, he, so he divided mankind. He dispersed mankind. He fixed the borders of the peoples 
According to what? The number of, the right reading I think would be the, the, according to the number of the sons of God. Because that's part of the corruption. That's part of the, we don't know what to do with this. And before the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the earliest attestations to sons of Israel uh, was the Masoretic Text, and, and even before. So, um, so there was some confusion over it. Um, but there was problems because we didn't know exactly what to do with it, because clearly he's referring to the Table of Nations, and Israel's not a thing yet. And so the Dead Sea Scrolls come along and say, no, it is sons of God, like a lot of these other texts are pointing to. And so it seems apparent, and there, there's good debate on it. There's good debate on it. I mean, to be fair, this, and again, when it comes to some of this stuff, there is, it's a lot of open-handed things. I think this is the direction that the Bible is pointing. But again, there's good debate to be had on it. Um, so, but, but the Dead Sea Scrolls essentially sided with some also pretty early manuscripts that attested to sons of God, right? That the Masoretic text didn't pick up. Pick up. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially referring to the same the same group. Uh, but so here, so here we have um, what I think the ESV. I think the ESV is picking up on the actual the right translation here, which is sons of God. There's several other translations that won't be ESV that will still have sons of God. Um, there are a couple of translations. NIV 83, I think, is one of them, and or 84, sorry, and uh, I think even the newer ESV or NIV will have uh, sons of Israel. I don't think that's the right reading. I think it is sons of God um, instead of sons of Israel. Now, um, so like I said, Moses is pointing back to this next point here. Moses is pointing back to the Tower of Babel and giving the account of Yah- from Yahweh's point of view. And as of Genesis 11, Israel doesn't yet exist as a people. So Deuteronomy 32, uh, well, before we get to Deuteronomy 32, 12, let's look at also. So he says um, he has divided mankind and he has fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, we've talked about this group of Elohim, of sons of God, who are part of this sort of divine council, who have some kind of authority, very clearly have some kind of authority, um, and, and Yahweh even is seen on a number of occasions, like in Job and several other places, bringing them together for this divine council. Uh, we'll uncover in a couple of weeks some really ex- extraordinarily strange passages where he brings this, this council together and allows them to voice uh, different, different things. Okay? So, but then he says in verse 9, But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. So here, here, the scene, if this is right, if it really is, he's apportioning this to the sons of God, then he's distributing the nations out across the globe, but he is keeping for himself a special people, the sons of Israel. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so then let's look at, at, let's keep reading. He says, he found, 
him in a desert land. Remember, he called he called uh, Abraham out of out of Ur. Uh, he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided them. No foreign god was with them. That seems to reconcile with what we've just read, that here he apportioned the rest of the nations to the sons of God. But he kept for himself his portion, which was the Jews, essentially, the nation of Israel. He protected them, and no other God was allowed to speak with them in any way. No other, this would be another variation here, no other L was allowed to speak with them in any way. No other was allowed to influence them. He kept them for himself. He protected them. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on high places. Uh, Oh, sorry, the last little blank there on the point, because Blake's going to get on to me here. Deuteronomy 32.12 depicts Yahweh as protecting the Israelites who thus remained untainted by the presence of foreign gods, uh, which is the singular there, El. Um... All right, so let's keep reading. He says, He made him ride on, high, on the high places of the land. He ate the produce of the field. He suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock, with fat, lamb, the, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of the wheat. And you drank foaming wine made with the blood of the grape. Ah, but Jeshurun, which is uh, like a pet name, an affectionate name for Israel, that's referred to, I think, three times in Scripture. Uh, Yeshurun, which is uh, like saying, uh, you little upright ones, you know, patting them on the head. Okay. Uh, the, little, the little good boys grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. And then what happened? He forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. But listen to this, 16. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. 17. They sacrificed to what? They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they have never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. Um, You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. What did they do? How? You know the story of Israel? How did they do it? What? It's one. What else do they do? Golden calf. Asherah. Where'd, those, where'd, those, where'd they come from? Where'd, the, where'd Asherah, uh, 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 Baal, where'd they come from? Yeah, people they didn't kill. People they didn't drive out of the land. Right? That's to come. We know that. But, but, but in the past, it's the influence of pagan nations. Right? 
So the, the, the picture that we're seeing here in Deuteronomy 32, this next little space here, Deuteronomy 32, 16 to 18, these Elohim that are assigned to the other nations, these sons of God or whatever that are assigned to the other nations, enticed Israel to worship and sacrifice to them. Uh, these Elohim in verse 17 are specifically called it's translated they're demons. They're called, the, the Hebrew word is shadim. All right, I would never say this on a Sunday. I would never get into like the Greek and Hebrew on a Sunday, but it's a Wednesday night, all right? This is for extra credit. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, the Hebrew word there is shadim. Now, the reason we translate it demons is because the Greek translation, follow me on this, the Greek translation of the Old Testament renders it uh, demons. Okay, so we take the word demons and we apply it to demons, but it's this word shadim. Paul, who is reading the Septuagint, Paul's Bible of choice, the parent, is the Septuagint. He's reading the Septuagint. He goes to first, in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 to 22. You have that on your list. You don't have to turn there. You, you should have it on your list there. You can look at your little word list. And relates it to ongoing pagan, that, that blank there is pagan worship of idols in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 to 22. He says, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You partake of the table of the Lord and the table, uh, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Uh, Paul, reading back to this verse, pulls out the term uh, demons from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay, but the original word is shadim. Okay, you have there in your notes what that means, where that we get that word shadim. It comes from an Akkadian word which relates to territorial, spiritual entities. Territorial, spiritual entities. The Old Testament's word for this that they followed were entities that were given to the rest of the world. I think it makes perfect sense of what we see at the end of verse 8, that the sons of God are, are given to the world. The world is given to the sons of God. They're managing. That's what they're doing. They're managing. They're directing. They're guiding. They're doing whatever. And they're calling these humans to worship them, to turn back and worship them. This is what we would call demons right, in today's world. Okay? Uh, Paul picks up the term and says that that's what they are. They're demons. Um, go ahead, Doug. Uh, first 15, first half of 15, this happens a lot in Hebrew poetry, first half of 15, uh, but uh, Yeshurun grew fat, 
and kicked. You grew fat. It's a reiteration of the same, uh, the same word, Hebrew poetry. This is a, a two, li- two lines. One modifies the other, or one interprets the other. Say again. Uh, which part? Then he, then he, yep. Yeah, he being the person, Yeshurun, he. But it's Yeshurun, you, then Yeshurun, he, and then. Yeah, so the you, the you is standing in the place of Yeshurun, he, uh, you, uh, talking to the Jews. So one is saying, uh, in, a, in a third person way of speaking, Yeshurun grew fat and sleek, and then turns to the congregation, you, uh, forsook, clarifying who I'm talking about here, you. So that's common in Hebrew poetry is one line. You read the first line, you have no idea what it means. The second line gives you the interpretation of the first line part for part. Do what? Yeah, then he, meaning, uh, I I think using he being the proper name, Yeshurun, he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. And then going back to the you, Going back to the, the same kind of modification, they, uh, meaning the people, stirred him to je- stirred him to jealousy, stirred him to, stirred God to jealousy, uh, with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They scoffed. Yeah. So um, that that's uh, I think what what is happening there. It's a, it's a Hebrew poetry. This is actually coincidentally in Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter one. You'll see this a lot as well. There's a change in pronouns going back and forth. It's a a function of Hebrew poetry, which is not super fun to always read because it can be really confusing as to who's talking to what and where and why. <laughs> so, but I think that's... I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think it's talking about the people and I think it's going back and forth. Uh, uh, Jeff, did you have a question? At the end of 15, uh, and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Yes. yes. Um, mine says rock their savior. In what sense is that referring to? Because this is like long before Christ. Is like God their salvation? Yes. From the false gods and the gods yes. Of yes. He's protecting them, like with his arms. He's wrapping his arms around them, and they go, ah, kind of like the grass looks a little bit greener on the other side. And they forsook what was their salvation from these other gods. And what we talked about, and what I think Paul's pointing to, is that these idols that people are serving are not mere idols. You're a fool if you think that, that the worship of Allah is simply just them bowing down to an idol. It's not at all. You're a fool if you walk into a, to a Buddhist temple and you think what they're bowing down to is just a wooden statue. You're a fool because they all behave and act the same. Every last one of them. They all pursue the same kind of ends. They all have the same MO. I mean, it's and dating all the way back into, I mean, 3000 BC. You're, you're looking at the same kinds of false gods that they're pursuing. And the Bible, I think, is incredibly clear that these are demonic. For, these are, there's real spiritual entities behind these false gods that people worship. Now, we can make an idol out of anything. I can make an idol out of money, out of my wife. I don't think my wife is a demon. Okay, that's not what I'm saying, right? Although sometimes, I'm just kidding. No. This is being recorded. 
Lord. Yeah, I don't think she listens. We're going to pretend she doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I'll bring her home a dozen roses. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no. So, but I don't, think, I don't think that's true. That's not what I'm saying. But there are clearly some uh, things that people worship that are demonic in nature and that are calling for their worship. They, they may even experience miracles and healing and all kinds of other things because they are spiritual in nature. I think the table of nations, the song of Moses is pointing back to the table of nations in, in, at the Tower of Babel and saying, the Lord scattered them and he scattered them according to the number of the sons of God. And that the nations were given over, the nations who did not want God, they told, he told them after they got off the ark, go and fill the earth and populate. And what did they do? They didn't do that. They got together and they built a tower. And we think probably what that tower was was what's called a ziggurat, which is a temple. And it's, the point is to build it as high and as big as you possibly can and attract as much attention as you can and to be known as the place where God dwells. We created the place where God dwells. So they rejected his, what he wanted them to do. And so he scattered them. He gave them over to their passions and scattered them amongst the gods. But he created for himself a people and he protected them. Right? Going back even to the promise in Genesis 3, what did he tell us he was going to do? One will come who will crush the head of the serpent. He created for himself out of these people whom he gave over to the nations and the pagan gods that they wanted to worship anyway. He created for himself a people. Okay. Now, uh, when Paul, listen, think about this for just a second. So Paul goes back and he says, these are demons, but how does he describe spiritual warfare? How does he describe these demonic powers that, that look for attention, that, that, that war against us? How does he describe them? He describes them as principalities, as powers, as thrones, as dominions, as rulers, as authorities, all in Ephesians 6, right? When he's talking about the, the war that we have is not between flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers and thrones and dominions and rulers. What are those terms? Principalities, powers, thrones, rulers, dominions. Those are territorial spiritual entities. He's using territorial language to describe the demonic warfare that goes on with us, that we're fighting against. The territorial war, okay? The, uh, it, so my point is that it's probable that the Bible is wanting us to think about the unseen realm in terms of cosmic geography. Cosmic geography. You've heard of tectonic plates? You know what tectonic plates are? The plates underneath the earth that move and shift, and we have earthquakes and volcanoes and all kinds of things. Okay. Uh, that's my non-scientific definition of tectonic plates, but there you go. Uh, I've never seen these tectonic plates. I don't know where they are, but I, there's people that know where they are. I don't know how they know, but they do. Somehow they know. And they're, so they've got them all mapped out, right? I can't see them. But technically, I'm standing on one right now, right? Similar concept is going on here. There's a cosmic geography happening where there are allotted portions 
that are given over to demonic powers and rulers and authorities. So it's kind of hard to think about that because we don't see it, but that's why it's called the unseen realm, right? <laughs> it, so there's, there's cosmic powers, just as there are real territorial powers. I can't just go over to Spain, just waltz into their country without getting arrested. I have to go through proper channels and have to present the right credentials and have to go in. There's a border around that. And in the same way, I think the Bible is pointing to the fact that there are cosmic powers uh, at work here. So the sons of God, this next little blank, the sons of God or Elohim were apportioned territories over which to rule and have authority. Uh, instead of ruling justly, they are corrupt and they lead the nations astray. Now, in light of that understanding, so thinking about that, look at Psalm 82. We read this last week. Thinking about that, now let's read Psalm 82. I think it makes it make a whole lot more sense as to who David is talking to and about, and what he's, or it may not be David, maybe Asaph, I can't remember. Uh, he says in Psalm 82, verse 1, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Somebody read verse 7. Do you have that? Did anybody turn there in their Bible? I forgot to put verse 7. like men you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. I did include it there at the end, didn't I? I'm smarter than I thought. I'm smarter than I gave myself credit for. <laughs> so he, it seems as though he is talking to these gods who are over the nations. They have judged and ruled corruptly. They have not done anything about wickedness. They have not done anything about, the, about injustice. They have not judged justly. They have not given justice to the weak and the fatherless. They have uh, not maintained the right of the afflicted and the destitute. They're luring them into depravity and wickedness and darkness. And so he says to them, I say you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall, you shall inherit all the nations. Now, we talked about this passage last week, and the reason why we think this is more than simply just talking to Jews, and it's more than simply talking to just kings, but he's actually pointing to sons of God who are given these territories that are, they have acted corrupt, they've, they're demonic. And they expected to do anything else with them? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I think that the nations were given over, as similar to what we see in Romans chapter 1, where you see God gave them over to the depravity of their mind. I think that's a similar thing that we're seeing. They are corrupt. The sons of God are, are corrupt there. And, and I think what we talked about a few weeks ago, which was the fall, and, and something, obviously, uh, disruption happens there. There's some sort of disobedience, wickedness, Satan, and all these kinds of things that we're not told a ton of information about at all, but seems to be alluded to. 
um, there's something there, and there's a corruption, it seems, in the sons of God, the Elohim, and uh, so it's part of judgment for both of them. You two deserve each other, essentially, as a kind of an inheritance, right? Seems to be what's the case. But that's a lot of, that's a, I mean, I'm, I'm making some connections here, but I, I think this is where it's pointing. Go ahead, Shannon. I, that is, that part is really unclear, but I don't think so. I think they are corrupt already, and okay. given, being given over to these gods is judgment. But he asked that question, how long will you judge? Right. Similar thing is asked in Revelation, when the, they're under the throne, the, 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 uh, in, it's chapter 6, they're under the altar, the beheaded saints are under the altar, and they say to God, how long, O Lord, until you judge the earth? How long is this going to go on? And so he's speaking, like, how long will you do this? But it's clear he's, uh, he's speaking to God. He says that in verse 8. Like, I'm speaking to Yahweh Elohim. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. God is the one who judges justly. He's the one that upholds the righteous. He's the one that punishes the wicked. He's the one that does all this. So rise up and you take all the nations and, and wipe them off the face of the earth. I, I think that's the direction that the, the Bible is pointing. Now, I, I get it. So the, the text is, um, none of this is abundantly clear. None of this is like, hey, linchpin, all right? Everybody had, right? I understand that. I understand there are good arguments on both sides. But I do think there's something to this. There's, there's something to the direction the Bible is pointing in regards to the unseen realm. That it is much broader than just a flat you know, order. And that there is something here in this council, this, these sons of God, and how they've been allocated to the nations. And some passages that we're going to read next week, you've already got them down there. You're going to see some things in the text there that are uber weird. And I think one of the only ways to really explain it and understand it well is to understand it like this, that this is what they're talking about. And this is not foreign to a, a, either a first century Jew or even before. That, uh, the idea of cosmic geography is how they think. I've even got a quote down there from a commentator, in case you don't believe me, of Ronald Young. In ancient times, it was commonly believed to be uh, driven from one's homeland was tantamount to leaving one's gods, being forced to serve other gods. Actually, leaving a territory was you were following other gods. You're going to see David say this. Saul kicks him out of his homeland, and he goes, he goes, hey, you, you've just these people. If it's uh, uh, these other men that have kicked me out, they've just left me to serve other gods. What? Why have they left you to serve other gods? Because he's not in his homeland. He's not in the territory of Judah. Now, we're going to explore this a little bit further later on. Again, we didn't finish tonight, and that's okay. And you need to go pick up your kids, and I got because I'm going to get screamed at. But, but, but just suffice it to say, let's leave off there, and then we'll pick up again next week with questions and all kinds of other things. All right? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just a time to, to really just think and talk and read the scriptures and, and ask questions. And we so don't know all the answers, and we confess that. And I, I pray, Father, that what we're doing is actually good and, and, and worthwhile investigating the text and really taking it seriously as to which direction it's pointing. We don't want to go into strange conclusions or anything like that. 
We just want to take the Bible seriously and understand it for what it says. And so we pray that you give us wisdom and understanding uh, as we do that, as we seek to interpret it and further understand what it means that we are also called your children. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.